Welcome to the Spectral Phenomena Podcast, your source for all things offbeat, strange, unexplained, and paranormal. Here are your hosts, Ken Sanner and Mustafa Sidney. Well, welcome back, everybody, to Spectral Phenomena. We have a bonus episode for you today. We're going to talk about something very interesting that has happened to moose, and then we're going to talk about uh, the UFO phenomena just in general, just a little bit. We're going to have some more longer, in-depth episodes on a lot of this stuff, but we wanted to give you a little bit of taste of it because uh, it's a topic that he and I both really enjoy and consider to be uh, pretty significant, so... Uh, without any further ado, I'm just going to throw it over to you, Moose. Yeah, no, th- this is uh, this is really cool. Uh, thank you for giving me the time to just talk about this. So, I mean, it's nothing fancy. I think, uh, first and foremost, I'm not a huge, like, for me, I'm a scientist and rational person first, right? I usually have to have some sort of concrete evidence to see what I see and, you know, decide what I want, but decide what I uh, believe on a part- any particular topic. But I'll tell you what, I... Um, the first story that I'm going to say happened to me a couple months ago, and it was very interesting. Um, and it's and uh, I'll preface this by saying that a lot of like modern UFO stories have like um, you know balls of light that um, change direction on you know uh, at at a moment's notice, and they'll be traveling at high rates of speed, and they don't follow what we would think to be uh, you know traditional propulsion theory, right? Which I'm not going to even pretend to to know what I am talking about. Um, but yeah, so I recently moved to uh, a, a, a waterfront area that has um, a, a pretty great view of the stars um, for where I, for considering where uh, I am. Um, and um, so it's actually my girlfriend and I, we're, we're mo- we are, we pretty regularly sit on the back, on the back porch, right? And we'll just gaze up at the stars because it's great stargazing. And... All the time, we'll and we have like the, the the apps on your phone that you can use to track, you know, whatever stars, planets, whatever. And I'm we we look up and I look up, but she's on her phone, and I see something moving, pretty quickly, to it's in the the, the basically the right part of the sky of where I am, and it, uh, it it's just moving to the right, but it's moving pretty quick. It seems really far away, and then uh, it didn't seem to me like a satellite because we see satellites all the time, right? So it's moving, it's moving, it's moving, and this maybe was a course of over a minute, a couple minutes. It, it's moving to the right, moving to the right, and then just uh, immediately just slows down, stops, and then like disappears. Now. I thought I was going insane because I thought that it stopped but never went away. And then I realized that there was a star there, right, where I was looking. So then I'm like, am I going insane? Like, did I think something was moving that wasn't moving? So, and that's it. That was the experience. I think I texted you immediately. You did. <laughs> um, and Because I was like, dude, and, and, uh, uh, and I can't remember exactly. I'd, we'll have to ask her if Ashley saw it too. But it was when it was moving. But then I'm, I'm looking up, and that was the gnarliest part. Like, it, it, you know, the, the, the speed at which it was traveling and how, f- you know, like where it got to in the point in space that I was looking at 
must have been pretty big, and then for it to just stop, that's what got me. And and to the point, like I'm thinking about it, I don't even know if it disappeared or not. I initially thought it, was, it disappeared. Then like there was the star there, but like obviously stars aren't going to be moving in that capacity, right? So that was my first UFO UFO story. I wish I'm I'm, I'm sad it was not anything more, anything cooler. But uh, I guess we'll t- get your take on it. Yeah, so I think it's a great story. Um, I kind of come down to a couple things. Um, number one, uh, and as much as I hate to even say this, because it can account for so much now, is could it be a drone? You know, we, yeah. we don't know. It's hard yeah. to identify size and distance, especially at oh, night, yeah. um, which isn't to say that, you know, I don't believe you saw something. I'm just oh, yeah. no, no, no. Uh, trust me, I'm the, always uh, the first one to have the rational explanation. Number two, and this is something that I think is very important, and it's something that has really weighed heavily on my own experiences with the UFOs, which I'll go into another night. This is this is Moose's UFO night. Um, but we, and particular, particularly where you live, sit very close to a major military installation where they do a lot of really weird stuff from all accounts. Yes. So... Anytime I see something funky happening in the sky around here, my first thought, of course, is aliens. But my second thought is it could be something from that base. Mm-hmm. Um, who, I mean, it that 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 military installation um, legitimately takes up a third of our county. I mean, it's oh, huge. Yeah. Oh, they yeah. do all kinds of crazy stuff down there um, that. I mean, who knows what they have down there? Who knows what's flying around our skies? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's, you know, a, something to think about, too. And then, of course, the third option, of course, is aliens, interdimensionals, ultra-terrestrials, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call. Um, but clearly, it does not sound like a conventional aircraft, no matter what it is. It shouldn't start and stop, have that non-ballistic motion. Mm-hmm. Um, disappear, certainly, it shouldn't disappear. Um you know, I think it's I think it's as, as valid of an account as any I've ever heard. Yeah, yeah, no, and that's what it, uh, you know. I'm glad you brought the the military thing up because uh, uh, the a major part of uh, uh, you know, so in around here, it's and it's really cool local history. Uh, but about two miles down, like if you get in the water and go two about two miles down, uh, you reach uh the proving ground and uh um, you can you're not that far from edward arsenal either and from 1948 to 1975 the u.s army chemical uh conducted classified human subject research in the edward arsenal facility i did not know that wow yeah, yeah uh so i did not know so it gets wrapped into uh mk ultra and project 112 but they're completely separate apparently um, it, uh, and this is actually from the, one of the pages. Uh, so if you don't mind, I just want to talk, cover this real quick. So, uh, from yeah, the, and I've got a follow up question when you're done. Yeah. So from 1948 to 1975, the United States army chemical Corps c- conducted classified human subject research at the Edgewell arsenal facility in Maryland. The purpose was to, uh, evaluate the impact of low dose chemical warfare agents on military personnel and to test protective clothing, pharmaceuticals, and vaccines. A small portion of these studies were directed at psychochemical warfare and grouped in, under the prosaic title of the Medical Research Volunteer Program between 1956 and 1975. The MRVP was also driven by intelligence requirements and a need for new and more effective interrogation techniques. Sounds like oh, wow. MK Ultra. 
Uh, and this is from the Wikipedia page, by the way. Uh, overall, about 7,000 soldiers took part in these experiments that involved exposures to more than 250 different chemicals, according to the Department of Defense. Some of the volunteers exhibited symptoms at, at the time of exposure to these agents, but long-term follow-up was not planned as part of the DOD study. Studies. Of course not. The experiments were not. abruptly ter- terminated by the Army in late 1975 amidst an anonymous... Yeah. Allegedly, yeah. Uh, amidst an atmosphere of scandal and recrimination, uh, recrimination as lawmakers accuse researchers of questionable ethics. Many official government reports and civilian lawsuits followed in the wake of the controversy. Here we go. The chemical agents tested on volunteers include chemical warfare agents and other agents, such as anticholinesterase nerve agents, so VX, sarin, and other like organophosphate stuff that we're familiar with because we have to be trained how to use the antidotes. Uh, mustard agents, nerve agent antidotes, including atropine and scopolamine. We know, and there's scopolamine's a di- deep dive if you've uh, ever talked about that. Uh, nerve agent reactivators, so uh, as you know, 2PAM, right? So 2PAM chloride, which uh, we won't get into that. But then also psychoactive agents, including LSD, PCP, cannabo- can- cannabinoids, and BZ. I don't know what BZ is. Um, and then irritates and riot, irritants and riot control agents and alcohol and caffeine. So sounds like a party. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it, it's literally, I mean, it has nothing to do with UFOs, but, uh, it's cool that it's like, bam, right there. Right. Now you mentioned project 112. I have not heard of that. What, what is that? I'm sure some of our listeners. So have that either. was a, it was a biochem. Hold on. I'm going to pull up the thing here. Um, so it started under uh, Kennedy's administration, was authorized by Secretary of Defense Robert McNamara as part of the total review of the United States military. The name Project 112 refers to the project's number in the 150 project review process authorized by McNamara. Funding and staff were contributed. But okay, uh, uh, Project 112's primary concern primarily concerned the use of aerosols to disseminate biological and chemical agents that would produce controlled temporary incapacitation. The test program would be conducted on a large scale at extracontinental test sites in the central and south Pacific and Alaska in conjunction with Britain, Canada, and Australia. Um, they, I feel like this is also where like the chem cloud stuff comes from. Okay. I think. Um, this is something I think we'll be, we'll, we could probably do a, a uh, a uh, a larger episode on because I don't know too much of it either. I knew it existed, but the big one that I knew about is uh, um, MK Ultra. MK Ultra, yeah. And so okay. I just so do you remember the the last thing the one the one the last agents they said was uh, NB, right? Uh, well, oh, BZ, sorry, BZ three. Uh, I'm not even going to try to say it. Uh, QNB. U.S. Army Code EA-2277, NATO Code BZ, Soviet Code Substance 78 is an odorless and... sounds very insidious. Yeah. Is an odorless (laughs) and bitter-tasting military incapacitating agent. BZ is an antagonist of muscarinic acetylcholine receptors whose structure is the ester of... Okay, that's... We don't need to talk about that. Um, But uh, it it basically sounds like a massive nerve agent. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And they're just testing this stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I agree with you, though. On the aircraft side of things, who knows what's going on there? Um, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they're listening to us right now because, you know, I'm just where we're recording is within, you know, 50 miles or, you know, whatever. You know, I'm real, really close to that. So um, who knows what what, uh, what I could have saw. I, I, I do uh, want to – I have one more story. This is not even – no weird physics or anything like that. Um, 
the so as I said, we're used to seeing satellites in the sky, right? And I was actually this particular night I was sitting with uh, my girlfriend and my, one of my best friends who's in the Air Force, and we're seeing a. Uh, I saw what I perceived to be a satellite in the sky, right? And but it was uh, it appeared to be way dimmer than you would usually see it, but it was traveling and it was in it and it would come back around, right? Um, after like half an hour or whatever. Uh, actually, I couldn't even tell you the time. I just saw it the one time, and then the, as it came around again. But um, I so I pull up my phone because usually, when you pull up on your phone, like if you look at something, it's usually like Starlink or something, or you can usually see what satellite it is. Did not come up on the satellite, hmm. and my best friend was like, "Well, I guess that's a Russian satellite," um, right. and or I mean, you know, even a classified United States one. But I just thought that was pretty cool that uh, you know. There's so much out there that, like, is from this world that, like, we don't even, like, people like me and you don't even know about. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I agree 100%. It's it's so yep. cool. It's pretty wild, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. And I, I just think it's an interesting world that we're living in with, like, the disclosure of the ATIP project. And, and I mean, it's really not that recent. So, if, well, for those of you that don't know, uh, the ATIP project is the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. Uh, which isn't necessarily a UFO program. It's just an unidentified aerospace uh, thing program. So even if it's another, you know, sentient nation, right, or the, like the Chinese or the, or the Russians have something that we don't know what it is, uh, that the Pentagon's aim was to identify them. Uh, but it's kind of cool because then that's where was a cat was a Captain Fraser, Fravor, Fravor. Um, yeah, where we know David where. Fravor. The, yeah, exactly. Where um, like his his things kind of go into that uh, uh, same pot of stuff, and it's interesting to me that we're seeing so much of it on the mainstream right now. Yes, it, it really is. Um, it's it's becoming very common to see this stuff in the news on social media. Um, you know, anywhere where people are talking, this stuff is creeping in. Um, and I wouldn't really say it's mainstream yet, but I feel like it's moving in that direction. <laughs> um, I don't think everybody is like, oh, yeah, you know, UFOs are real, but the conversation is starting to be had. What's going on up there? Because there's something happening that allegedly our government doesn't understand mm -hmm. and i mean to me and I, i'd love to hear your thoughts on this ken it's almost like it's um they're like trying to soften the playing field right like with blippets of information right so that uh you know in the event that the disclosure does occur like there isn't like societal upheaval right yeah and i also think that i don't think it's on purpose I, again, I'm not saying any of this stuff going on in the world is a controlled thing. I don't. I think it's uncontrolled, and I think that's a concerning thing for you know larger facets of government, um, as any sort of disturbance in you know normal situation is concerned. Uh, but I think that the the advertisement of ATIP and all of that stuff is they are taking advantage of a already um, unbalanced and you know. Oh, man, unstable situation to be to instill blippets of information. So uh, to, to take advantage of a environment where people are already exhausted with news, they're already exhausted yeah. with unusual things. So what? Who cares if there's you know aliens in the sky? We don't care. We're you know we're literally have family members dying from a pandemic. 
right? Yeah. Or who cares? I, I mean, uh, you know, there, uh, the, you know, there's an aliens. There's, uh, there's, uh, you know, real societal issues that we're dealing with in in, in forms of you know pr- mass protest and stuff like that. Yeah, I see kind of three options here for this. Um, number one is a soft disclosure um, that they know what's going on and it's real. And for some reason or another, I doubt it's altruistic. Maybe it's to distract us from other things going on. Maybe it's because they think it's inevitable that we're going to find out and they want to do something to make it look like they know what's going on. Um, in any case, maybe it's a uh, soft start to a disclosure. Yeah. Um, so may- maybe those could, could be options. Yeah. Um, number two, they have no idea what's going on and they're just reporting the facts as they get them. I don't really believe that that's true. Uh, um, that that seems unlikely to me that they know less than they're telling us. Uh, or You know, I think they know a lot more. I think there's a lot of evidence that they have some idea of what's going on. Um, you know, especially when you, you look at, like, you know, the Bob Lazar story and stuff like that, you know. Um, I, I don't think it's number two. Number three, maybe it's all disinformation, it's all fake, and they're using it to, again, distract us or set up some kind of crisis to be like, oh, the aliens are coming, we have to take control of everything or, mm-hmm. you know, something like that. Um I lean towards option one, that it's some sort of soft disclosure, um, probably to distract us, maybe because something inevitable is coming and they feel a need to ease us into it for some reason. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, I don't I don't believe anything the government does is for our own good for the most part. So but this isn't a political podcast, so I'll leave that one alone for now. Okay. Fine, I, I won't respond to that then. That's fair. <laughs> um, but no, I, I can see. I, I think I agree with you. I think I'm somewhere between the first one and the third one. Yeah. Um, the, we, again, we don't know what we don't know. We don't really have any framework to uh, you know, anchor our conversation in. But from what we understand, I can definitely see it being a, 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 a desperate grab of trying to control the narrative. Right, because whoever yeah. controls the narrative controls the tempo of the information being disseminated. Right, uh, right. and the uh, it would in a time period where people are already very. Uh, I'm not. This isn't a political statement. This is a. This is. This is in terms of this. So, in a time period where people are already pretty, they have lack of confidence in our government. Right, uh, it is. Yep. It, 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 it isn't another step to say that that same government is trying to um, grasp at straws to try to retain some sort of uh, not legitimacy, but some some sort of uh, positive public view. Right. So if it appears right. that they are controlling this, you know, this big, bad, unknown thing and we're the only ones that can help you. Uh, right, like that, I can see the benefit of that, and then the third one being kind of this a similar point though that uh, it, you know creating a false crisis to in in the hopes of creating more of a unified uh, you know response to this and more public support. Yeah, 
Yeah, and I think there's a question too of, you know, who in the government actually does know anything about this anyway? Um, I really go back and forth on whether or not I believe the president even knows anything. Um, I certainly don't believe most, if any, people in, in the Senate or the House really know anything. Um, I, I, I really lean towards the idea that, you know, some shadow, shadowy groups of people in the intelligence community and the Department of Defense, you know, probably have a better idea of what's going on than anybody else, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially if you listen to Lazar's story about the partitioning of information, right? So, yeah. like, you know, and you, you have to, you're forced to work in silos. And um, I think it's, it's human nature to want to think that there's a tip of the pyramid, right? But what if the constructs of the system, the systems within our government that were developed were made to not be, to not have any tips of silos that were truly made to be silos? Right. Right. And there is no um, to a point there is no uh, maybe not that there isn't a shadow. I don't I, I, the, maybe there's not a shadow government, but maybe there maybe there's a maybe there are truly isolated groups within, you know, the bureaucracy of big government. Right. In some in some cubby in some random corner that gets their funding from some random budget item, you know. And that group knows one thing. And then the right. other group, know, you know, in, say, NASA knows another thing, and, but they're funded under, like, botany, right? Or something, you know, and things like that. And then uh, maybe there is a puppet master right at the top of some three-letter named agency that does know. But I would lean towards the fact that it's got – maybe there was something like that during, like, the Manhattan Project and all that stuff, but all of that kind of got broken up into silos that we see today. And I think examples of that are um, – and I don't – I couldn't name any recent examples, but if they're going to have such bad blunders, uh, public information blunders as, like, Ruby Ridge and Waco and all that stuff, and those are all massive, you know, uh, blunders of three-letter uh, three agencies – and that's something on that's public. I can't imagine that incompetency doesn't translate to things that are supposed to be secret. Yeah, I think that incompetency does definitely translate and permeate our government. Um, however, though, you, you know, you brought up the Manhattan Project and they did a really good job of keeping that secret. Now, that was a time of much higher nationalism. There was no social media. Mm-hmm. You didn't have um, the leaks that you see now in the government. Um, but if things are appropriately compartmentalized and there is enough pressure on people to keep things secret i think it can happen and again you look at again bob lazar and you know some of the other whistleblowers out there it's not like this stuff hasn't leaked mm-hmm. it's just that people don't take it seriously mm-hmm. yeah. and i think that's a very big distinction um there's plenty of people who say I worked at Area 51 and, you know, there's UFOs there and everyone's like, you're nuts. Get out of here. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I I think it's it's plausible that um, they could keep a lid on most of this stuff, particularly by running disinformation campaigns about it, you know. Yeah. Um, and we're starting to see, I think, a change in that disinformation campaign. It's gone from this stuff doesn't exist to there's something out there, but we don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested to see where that evolves, you know, and it's totally possible that this could all just go away. They could just stop reporting on it and 
you know, 90% of people would just be like, not even notice. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's um, it kind of like in 1984. Have you read 1984? Where uh, Like 20 years ago. Yeah. So like, uh, <laughs> you know, you have the party and then you have the proletariat and like, it, you know, the, um, uh, you know, just a small group of people are in the party and the large amount of folks just kind of go about their daily, you know, their day on day on thing, just not really looking up, you know, yeah. for, for lack of a better term. So, yeah, this was fun. I'm glad we talked about this. We should do yeah, more like, uh, we should do more just like an uh, impromptu stuff. Yeah, I think we will. Sounds good, man. So, all right. Well, thank you everybody for listening to spectral phenomena. We've been your hosts, Moose and Ken. We look, we should probably introduce ourselves in the beginning of the episode, but oh, we'll yeah, I it. guess we forgot. All that. Yeah. <laughs> You'd think we'd never done this before. Meanwhile, we have a, another successful podcast, but yeah, that's another story for another day. Thanks everybody for listening. Have a safe night, and we'll see you next time on Spectral Phenomena.